Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. So, speaking of people who are mean to the Borg. Yes. Oh, let's move Captain on to Captain Shaw. Shaw. And now, the conclusion. Fuck him. I know he was very popular, and Todd Stashwick is great in the role. He is. He's great. But... And he also seems like a, a great human being. Oh, yeah. Know? He like, seems delightful. On a superficial level, seems like a perfectly wonderful person. I have nothing against him. No. Captain Shaw? Nope. Shaw is so great when he's punching up with Riker and Picard. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But he's also punching down, which makes him an mm-hmm. asshole. And it's not just with Seven. There are scenes where he speaks to Ensign LaForge with, mm-hmm. I'm going to say, naked contempt. I was con- going to say contempt. I was yeah. like, the word you're looking for is contempt. Mm-hmm. And honestly, in the bar scene after he gives his monologue mm-hmm. and his crew are all looking at him like, what's your deal? Like, <laughs> that, that was that was not cool, man. <laughs> Why would you do that? And, uh, and he just says, you know, whatever, I'm an asshole. And it's like, great. That's, cool. you know, that's not, that's not actually self-awareness. That's you excusing your own. He r- reminds me a lot of season one Lorca before the reveal. Both in the mm-hmm. way he treats people badly and the way fandom falls over itself to excuse him. And yeah. I totally fell for the Lorca trick. I absolutely was on the, this guy can be saved, he's just acting out because he's traumatised train. Never again! Mm-hmm. I have learned that <laughs> Never again. I mean, it also, like, trauma is something that happens mm-hmm. over and over again. It, it get, You get stuck in there. He is clearly stuck in yeah, there. Yeah. And this is why I say Starfleet HR has a lot to answer for. Because according to Vatic, who, like, read his HR mm-hmm. report, they know <laughs> that he has post-traumatic stress from his encounter with the Borg. And so why would you put Seven... Like, they clearly hate Seven of Nine. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, fine. We're going to let you into Starfleet, but we're going to assign you to someone who will make you quit. Yes. And that's what happened. Constructive dismissal. And I am so angry about it. It's particularly egregious because they keep implying that Janeway is the commander-in-chief of Starfleet. And... Like, Janeway wouldn't do that to her seven? No. No. There's no good reading of it. Like, no. there's no kind or positive way that I can take it. Mm-hmm. They were just like, we're setting seven up to fail. Mm. Because we want to. Mm. To punish her, to punish Janeway, and to punish Picard. That was their entire plan. was like, we're angry at these three people, and so we're going to ruin it. While making it look like we're we're great and we're like letting her mm. in and and we're making her a commander and first officer and and you know, setting her up, mm. and then you know people are like, oh well, Shaw liked her in the end and he was always good and just d- didn't let her know. And I'm like, yeah, that means he's not good. That's worse. <laughs> yeah, it's worse. Everything that we saw that we experienced as an mm. audience was after he mm. made that log, yeah, and therefore. He's a horrible human being. He has chosen to be a bully. I am sorry. I do not like him. I do not want him to come back. And I can't forget him. And the thing is, if he was punching up to Picard and Riker, but also supporting Seven of Nine, he would be a much more complex and interesting character. Mm-hmm. Especially if he still had all of that Borg trauma. And he's being decent to Seven of Nine. Not because he's okay with her being an XB, not because he wants to have a former Borg as his first officer, but because when he was desperate and traumatised and needed support, he got it. And all he can do to be a good captain is to pass that on. But, well, what, okay, now I'm going to say, why weren't you in charge of season three? Because that is way more interesting. All I'm saying is, once the WGA strike is over, Paramount should call us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the dream of the greatest generation to be in Star Trek and get blown out in an airlock. It's our dream <laughs> to write an episode. To write an episode. Where Ben and Adam get blown out in an airlock. Yeah, absolutely. We will write it in. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can team up for that. Yeah. <laughs>
do like that the Jack and Seven show gives us outsiders bonding. I love it. Mm. I love it. I wanted it immediately. They interact very, you know, briefly mm. and then start interacting more and more and more and more. And it became the Jack and Seven show. And I was like, you know, again, by like episode three, I was like, oh, the Jack and Seven show. Um, and I was super into it. And it was also like why I knew that he was a Borg. Yes. <laughs> because again, it seems very clear to me that Jack doesn't know how to make friends, mm. but he absolutely made friends with Seven easily. And I felt it was because they were alike and they yes. understood on like a, a level that was below the surface that they were alike and that they both had that yearning for a connection and didn't know how to do it because yeah. the only way that they had done it in the past was through these means of Borgness. They fall so quickly into a sort of big sister, little brother relationship. Which it's so good. For two only children is delightful yes. to see. It's exactly. Okay, it was obviously like obviously Jack has a brother, but Wesley is not in his life. He doesn't count. He counts, just not. He does also. Doesn't. I mean, I don't think he does because he's <laughs> never mm. met him. Mm. So and mm. never will apparently. But yes, exactly. And Seven, who you know had that same sort of rapport with like Naomi Wildman mm. or Egypt and the other boy kids, the big sister role comes naturally to her. Yeah. And I do think it is because she wants family. You yes. know, I mean, she says it in Bounty that she mm. just wants a family. Yeah. And I just love that they find each other that way. And that it's like, it's the good part of being connected to Picard. And then you brush him away and he like, <laughs> you don't matter anymore, Picard. Like you brought us together, but our relationship has nothing to do with you. And that's why it was so strong to me because yeah. you understood how it was related to Picard, but he didn't matter at all. Yeah, I agree. And I like that she advises and supports him and then he becomes an advisor to her and that mutual relationship really, it's nice yes. to see. I really like it. Yes, exactly. And that she recognizes that he can have that other perspective that she might mm. not see right away and that she can then pull a Janeway and provide him with the mm. guidance to become the best version of himself. Yeah, he is sort of her Tom Paris. Right. Which doesn't mean I ship it, but if anyone else shipped it, <laughs> I would not be mad. I have one fic idea for them that I might, mm. we'll see what happens. Because mm. I know I just compared them to siblings, but obviously they're not really siblings. I mean, I love their sibling-esque relationship, and I don't, I mean, I certainly don't want in canon for them to be romantic in any way. No, but that's what fic is for. But I had one idea that I think mm. would be a fun thing to, to play with. Mm. Same with Worf and Rafi. Who spent the first half of the season basically off in their own completely separate show, and I would watch right. every episode of that. <laughs> I know, and it, because Ro was Worf superior, the way that Worf mm. was Rafi superior, yes. and it's like, okay, guys, like, you know how they, they're saying they want to make these, like, little movies? It's like, mm. here you go. Mm. There, there's one, make that. Yep. <laughs> make that happen for me. <laughs> because I love it. The relationship between Worf and Raffaella is absolutely beautiful to watch. Yeah. Finally, someone, anyone, <laughs> sees Rafi and says, hey, you know what? You're like this great person who I should give the opportunity to be great. <laughs> Instead of, hey, here's a list of all the mistakes you ever made in your life and I'm mm. never going to get over it, which is what literally every other person in her life does. Right. Including Picard and Seven. Yeah. The only other character who has treated Rafi with this level of respect is Rios. Right. And he's gone. Who chose to stay in Iceland, not Iceland, <laughs> but Iceland rather than come with her. Yeah. So, like, boo. Yeah. In the end, he didn't choose her, is I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, right. Whereas 
Worf and Rafi, again, it's a sibling relationship. He would drop everything if she needed him and vice versa. The fact that he spends the whole season complaining about hugs and then he initiates their hug Mm. is so beautiful. (laughs) Do you think Rafi has met Alexander? I mean, do we think that Warp has met Alexander? (laughs) Well. (laughs) Poor Alexander. I would love there to be, like, family barbecues with Warp and Alexander and Alexander's significant other and children, because Alexander would. (laughs) And Rafi and her evil ex and her son and, and Pell and their daughter like that would be so sweet and also is kind of like fast and furious barbecues you know it would be so good and yeah Azri can absolutely come so i said jack crusher is my favorite character in star trek but i really love rafi like rafi i think is and i say this as the biggest jack crusher fan you know the best character to come out of star trek because (laughs) i completely agree she was introduced as a fully three-dimensional person. Yes. yes. That I just needed to know everything about and I would watch anything with mm. her. And I am very happy that people finally figured out. People were saying that... Rafi is such a great <laughs> character this season, but Rafi hasn't changed. She actually no. undergoes very little character development this season. The only thing that changed is that she is partnered with people who respect her. Right. The only thing that changed is that Worf was there to say, hey, look at how great Rafi is. Mm. Mm. It's like one of those things where the woman says an idea in a meeting Mm. and everyone ignores it. And then the man says the same idea, you know, oh, well, you know, Janet just said blah, 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 blah. And everyone is like, oh, what a great idea. That is exactly what I was thinking (laughs) of. But also the way Michael Dorn uses his male privilege to talk up Michelle Hurd. Oh my god. The Michael Dorn and Michelle Hurd relationship is also like yeah. beautiful yeah. to see. Every interaction I've seen with them, it just seems so amazing. They seem to be so close. They also have that sibling relationship. When he said in the in the final episode, talk with all the actors he was the one who said, you know, by the way, Michelle Hurd would really love to be here, but she texted me and this is what she said. And, you know, I'm going to go have like dinner with her and her husband <laughs> in a week or something. And I'll, I'll let her know that you all missed her. And it was just like, okay, that was the most wholesome thing that ever happened. Right. It was just so precious. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, again, I loved Worth this season and I, just think that you know they were the ones who got stuck in a time loop in this season (laughs) where they kept like you said they were off on their own show and they had like kept having meetings that were like everything happened the same like three meetings in a row and was like we it would be cool if we could like move the plot along but they weren't allowed to because we still had all this other stuff to go with which again what if we had elnor (laughs) with them instead what if we could, like, focus on that? Can you imagine Worf and Elnor? I have been imagining Worf and Elnor since season one. Specifically, Worf and Jaban teaching Elnor how to play soccer. I want it. Yeah. I want it badly. And yeah. I feel like that was a huge missed opportunity. I know that, like, Terry Metallus wanted to get all his friends from Twelve Monkey in the show instead of paying Evan Avangora, but let's just say I resent it a little bit. I have a lot of feelings about Terry Metalis. You know, I don't think he's a very good writer. I think he's a hack, and I wish I was half the hack he is, because he seems to be, like, good at finishing things and stuff, but his instincts as a storyteller can be very obvious. Like, before before the succession finale on Monday, he tweeted that he hoped Greg would become CEO, and that is just the most typical male marvel-brained ending for the series that anyone could imagine and also he was wrong greg didn't become ceo but speaking of metalis and succession in the penultimate episode of succession the lead female character gives a eulogy for her father and she says he couldn't fit a whole woman in his head which immediately fell into the fandom lingo as we debate the actions of complex female characters 
But I keep coming back to Terry Metalis and how he said in an interview that Seven and Rafi broke up because they had to concentrate on their careers. Nope. That's a no. I feel like Terry Metalis cannot fit a whole woman in his head. And also, like, if that's true, what a great parallel to Picard and Crusher. Yeah. Maybe we should, like, have that in the show. Just yeah. a thought. Yeah, look, no, no. Women don't get to be that complicated. Especially not queer women. But we'll talk about that soon. Let's talk about the episode nine problem. <laughs> or, when I came up with later, the ninth episode curse. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Because, okay, so you know that I photocap Star Trek Picard. Yes. And in the first and second season, I did not photocap the, the ninth and tenth episodes. Yeah. Because they were bad and I just stopped. Mm. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Yeah. I just lost my mind and was like, nope. So, Vox. Yes. Is better by far than Et in Arcadia Ego Part 1 or. <laughs> gods help me hide and seek yes but there is still a very clear dip in quality mm -hmm. mostly in characterization because all of a sudden every single person is making bad choices oh my god like so many bad choices as a non-viewer following the series basically on twitter it was striking to me how deeply they lost the audience with folks it was absolutely palpable and then i watched it and i was like this plot only works if every single character is stupid if <laughs> exactly everyone walks deliberately into a trap with their eyes open and is then really shocked and amazed when the trap springs and everything goes wrong i mean i obviously i don't have a problem with the Borg reveal. I'm mm. fine with that. Mm. I'm, I'm good. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Oh, it's nonsense. However, I will, I will set that aside because honestly, every single thing that happens in 90% of Star Trek Picard is completely ridiculous and, and nonsensical. And I mostly love it, so it's okay. So I'm willing to give Jack Crusher a pass because he's young and he's an idiot and it's okay. Also, like, he's basically been brainwashed since childhood. Like, this yes. is the Kylo Ren thing. How, right, to, exactly. To what extent is this adult man responsible for his actions? Pretty much, like, the acting in books is great. Oh, yeah. The scene between Jean-Luc and Jack, mm. where he tells him <laughs> that his Borg DNA is at fault, <laughs> and that yearning for a connection that has driven Jack his whole life is actually just the borg <laughs> okay beautiful acting ridiculous dialogue as players expressions facial expressions are incredible it's like a master class in there just go watch he runs the gamut of emotions and patrick stewart is actually playing two emotions like despair yeah. and rage <laughs> And it's a really amazing, beautiful contrast. Like, mm. it's a really, really great scene if you completely ignore how stupid it is. <laughs> <laughs> I think that summarizes the whole series. But in that scene, Jack says, what do you see when you look at me? And Ricard says, I killed 11,000 people. And it's like, dude. That is not what you tell someone no. who asks, what do you see? You're supposed to say, I see my son. You're supposed to say, I see someone who needs help. Mm. Hard, in fairness, he's never been good at this. So I give Jack a pass for being stupid because he's been driven to it and he is absolutely Kylo Ren. And I love Kylo Ren, so I don't mind that at all. Yeah, that's not a bad point in my book. No, 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 it's, that's great. <laughs> so, he's really mean to Beverly, which is really hard to watch. And then he negates everything that she's done for him for 23 years by running immediately into the trap and causing all of this. However, you got to put that on, on John Luke's. Mm -hmm. he, he, he screwed up that scene okay. and then you gotta put it also on Beverly and Deanna for saying yeah sure let's let him do it the worst possible person for the job 
knowing that he's Jean-Luc Picard, mm-hmm. terrible at relationships, mm-hmm. terrible at feelings, mm-hmm. bad at family, Borg trauma for yeah. Yeah. decades. Yeah. You know how in iBorg they only let Hugh meet Locutus very late in Hugh's development yes. because they were afraid of what would happen otherwise. They should have remembered that and, like, Beverly should have been the one to have this conversation. You know, yes. the lady who saved Picard from the Borg. Right, exactly. And also helped Hugh. And also would never jack would say what do you see when you look at me and she'd be like the same kid that i've seen mm-hmm. the past 20 years you know who else it, would have been really good at that conversation seven, seven of, of nine, nine. <laughs> yeah, that's so my 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 in my in my note here is the lack of seven in the borg scenes this one and the later one is unconscionable but necessary because she would stop people from making bad choices. Yes. <laughs> they couldn't put seven of nine in these scenes because it would make zero point zero zero sense for anything that happens mm. to happen if seven of nine was involved. And if your plot relies on keeping the competent characters away from the plot and everyone else bad. being uncharacteristically stupid, that's a bad plot. It's a bad plot. And like you say, we can forgive it with Jack because brainwashing. But then we have the Titan rolling up to Earth and fleet formation. And they're like, oh, oh, the, our ship's been taken over. Whoops. Oh, this thing that we knew was going to happen, happened. Yeah. Like yeah. they literally say that. Yeah. I forget which bridge crew says it, but they're like, just as we expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, maybe you should have done something else. Yeah. You could have come up with a different solution and like the third guardians of the galaxy movie is basically the characters knowingly walking into a series of plots but they get away with it because that is a movie about people who basically chaos their way out of any situation that that's not how star trek works isn't john Lee picard's whole thing is that he plans yeah like, i thought that yeah. that was the difference yeah. but like the the argument for and against Picard versus Kirk is like yeah. Picard is strategic and mm-hmm. diplomatic and Kirk and is things ahead impulsive and instinctive right yeah. like yeah. Is, isn't that the whole thing yeah. but no no apparently not and Riker like Riker when Picard was being impulsive and wanting to go right ahead Riker spent two entire episodes telling him no yeah and now does absolutely nothing until it's, I'm going to be angry at Shelby for no reason. Well, it helps when you have a female target. I mean, this is all basically a woman's fault, right? Because the Borg Queen, is that is that the woman you're talking about? The Borg Queen, Janeway, Beverly for getting pregnant. How uh, dare she? Look, I really do want to ask Terry Metalis if he is familiar with menopause as a concept, <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, like that. I like that. If you can live until you're whatever, I, again, you just have to accept that everything is ridiculous, and then it's way more enjoyable. Just saying. <laughs> so the scene where Jack is caught by the Borg Queen and, and assimilated, another absolutely amazing mm-hmm. acting by Ed Spillers. Yeah. Like I cannot get over how good he is. Oh yeah. And you're like sitting there going, like, there's probably some set here, but. None of this stuff that we're mm. seeing happen is happening. And she is able to do all of this. And, and there's like a puppet queen that he's acting against. It's beautiful. Oh, yeah. The design of the Borg, the emaciated Borg and the monster queen were amazing. It kind of disturbed me. Like, Bioware video games have this tendency to have incredibly grotesque feminine monsters. And I feel mm-hmm. like the Borg queen falls into that category. But it was amazing. It was really, really well done. It was just so stupid. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. everyone is just... I'm sorry. It just, it's, it's so stupid. So Jack is assimilated and then it becomes like a mouthpiece for the Borg queen because the Borg don't exist anymore. It's just 
the Borg Queen and Jack. That's the entire collective that he's a part of now. I mean, we can thank Janeway for that. She did neutralize them. She did a great job. And so using, like, Spotify, they take over everything. And I and I guess, like, like it's I really struggle to understand everything that happened. Like, what happens to the changelings? Are the changelings also assimilated? The changeling people, like, are the changelings just gone? I guess Rogue got them all off of the Titan, and so there aren't any more changelings on the Titan, so we don't get to know, but on the other ships? Right, right. All of the humans are assimilated, and the chains can just, like, cool, we're, like, gonna help the Borg. Just, I mean, I guess they were in cahoots, but I, I, I have questions about, like, the changelings are, like, never mentioned again after right. <laughs> episode eight until like the very end of episode 10 when they're like, and then we also got rid of the changing problem. Yay us. It's like, okay. I want it to be like the Padme and Annika meme. We got rid of the changelings and you've addressed the damage you, that section 31 did to them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So like, I just, um, you know, so all of the youngings are assimilated and they start murdering mm-hmm. everybody else. This is bad. Yeah. You described it as Order 66, which I stole and ran with in my photo cap because You're that's welcome. absolutely true. And great. I love the idea of that. And I want to see the, you know, version of the bad batch in Star Trek Nepo Babies mm. because... You, you can't just do that and then no. be like, oh, well, that no. happened. Order 66 just reverberates through Star Wars down, you know, every yeah. single every single series has... <laughs> every single series has addressed it. So we need, yeah. the, we need to address this. Yeah, do you not forget that this happened. walk away from this. And my flatmate, who was not a Trekkie and not at all tapped into online Star Trek culture, called it the woke mind virus, which... I mean, See, I don't really understand that because the Borg are the opposite of woke. No, I know. It's like it's like but... that fascist mind <laughs> virus. Darren Moody, whose criticism I really appreciate, he stopped receiving screeners for Picard for some reason. Talked about how A, Seven and Hugh are both queer and the stigma against being an XB is like the stigma against queer people. And mm-hmm. then... Like, the Borg were introduced as socialists. You know, this is this is the communist bloc. This is okay. all of that okay. late Cold War stuff. But young people today don't have that horror of socialism that Gen X and boomers do because we're all broke. And so from that perspective, it's like, oh, no, the youths. The, the Borg I mean, are... I, I see that argument, but it is, I certainly did not come. And you, I mean, you said Aaron did, so, like, yeah. It's not like solely. And I definitely don't think it was intentional. I just think as a subtext, the boomers have to get together to rescue their kids from the malevolent outside force is a bit on the nose. I just want to push back on it a little because, Mm -hmm. yes, it's the boomers have to save the kids. And I think that's stupid too. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but... I would not call anyone on the Enterprise D a boomer, okay boomer type. Like, they're not, none of them are Republicans. Uh, I want to push back against that and say I would absolutely okay boomer Picard. Well, okay, but he still <laughs> is a socialist. No, no, no. Like, it's a flawed analogy, and Jesse Gender did a video about the flaws in. The problem when all of your queer representation is in analogy, then you're going to yeah. end up with unintended subtexts like this. I think that that is tr- very true. And, I d- and I'm not saying the subtext isn't there. I'm just saying that it definitely, I don't know, it just feels weird to be like our heroes of Starfleet are coming to rescue and we're going to compare them to like Ron DeSantis. <laughs> That doesn't make sense to me. I agree, but I also think this series, this season, has resonated so much with the Trekkies who 
would absolutely vote for Ron DeSantis as president, that there is a problem here. And I don't think it's intentional, but I do think that A, Metallus is not very good at understanding subtext, and B, everything that's come out with the writer's strike has revealed just how rushed and inadequate the writing process for these yes excuse me for these shows true. are and i think it's absolutely clear with picard and if they had had a bigger writing team and more time we would not be having these conversations i don't entirely blame metallus for being a hack i, I think that this is a systemic problem and this is why really quite a lot of streaming shows are not as good as they should be right now yeah, I think that the lack of a larger writing room is definitely mm. a huge issue. And the time crunch, mm. which they did to themselves. Yeah, And also just the fact that the writing team was roughly 50-50 men and women, but mostly white and mostly straight and all cis. <laughs> I just think Yeah, I was going to say... Picard and Strange New Worlds have really demonstrated the limitations of that. Yeah, they definitely need a... I mean, okay. So I've been advocating for a mental health advisor <laughs> for years. Yes. And they still need that. Mm. And that would have helped this because they would have said, hey, maybe like... I mean, I have described the Borg as analogous to mental illness often. Mm. And we'll get into this a little more soon. But... If there was someone who was looking out for, hey, you know, the queer coding and mm. the mental health issues and the trauma and like all of this, it would just take a few tweaks to make it better yeah. and to get rid of that subtext yeah, or at least to, to explain that subtext in a way that helped it not fall into the trap. Yeah of being pro Ron DeSantis. Yeah. And hypothetically, that's the showrunner's job, but yeah. And again, a bigger writing team would mean there's less pressure on the showrunner, so he or she has more time to concentrate on that higher level. And again, so, and what I was saying, I've been advocating for a mental health advisor, Mm -hmm. like a sensitivity reaver. There are things that exist that are to, you know, and someone, so I, in, in the Tumblr post, I wrote about have a, I'm wanting a, and I said mental health disability and mm. neurodiversity. And they were like, well, when we got an advisor for indigenous people, we ended up with Chakotay because they were a hack and a faker. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> so we're never going to have an advisor again. <laughs> like that's, that's your plan. But your plan is to just get rid of that. Meanwhile, Discovery, in addition to having a lesbian showrunner, got trans people in the room through GLAAD to help with Grey and Adira. And again, if everything's an analogy, the fact that they don't have those things in Picard and Strange New Worlds means that they also don't have those people talking about those things in Picard and Strange New Worlds. And so, yeah, it's absolutely, they're like, oh, well, we don't need it because we don't have any trans people. And it's like, okay, but... Have you considered that that's Have a Have you problem? considered? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So does this bring us to the question of quote-unquote romance? <laughs> quote-unquote romance. I mean, because other than Deanna and Will, mm-hmm. there isn't any. They wave at romance a few times. Just... You know, out the window as they go past. So I kind of like where they went with Beverly and Jean-Luc. I mm-hmm. don't like it as much as the all good things ending where they were married and then divorced. But that's me. <laughs> when we're told that they have this had this on again, off again romance thing. That yes. I'm like, when? How? What? <laughs> because none of that. Anyway. I mean... To me, the on-again, off-again romance revelation made Beverly's non-presence in the Next Generation movies make sense. I was like, oh, I know when that happened. I know when they were off again. (laughs) It was all these movies over here. 
So that's how I took it. Look, I will buy that because they are very close and very shippy in Nemesis, which we know is mm-hmm. right before she got pregnant because, mm-hmm. again, menopause and birth control don't exist because this is yeah. a dystopia. All right, so people are going to hate me for this, mm-hmm. but she wanted a baby. It is very clear to me. <laughs> There's this one line where she says over and over again, you told me that you didn't want to have a family. And I was like, so you brought it up multiple times. <laughs> like she wanted another kid. I think that that's the only reasonable explanation. And it kind of doesn't really reflect well on her. But okay, right. We'll just go with it. I guess. I mean, the generous explanation is she was like, I'm pretty close to menopause, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I'm going to put it into, you know, the hands of whatever is in charge here, Mm -hmm. the universe. I'm going to give it over to the universe and not be on birth control, but also I am sort of close to being on permanent birth control. (laughs) So we'll see what happens. And what happened was she got pregnant. And then she hadn't really thought about the reality of that because she didn't really believe it would happen. And then she panicked and ran away. Okay, that I can buy and it doesn't leave me hating Beverly. And it also, she did the opposite of trapping Picard. Like there are people who are like, oh, you know, she she was going to trap him with a baby. And I'm like, she literally left the (laughs) galaxy. (laughs) Like she was like, I'm going to go to a different quadrant from you. So, no, she did not trap him. No, no. I guess I have ethical issues with choosing to become pregnant by someone who you know doesn't want to have a family. But I think Mm. if she decided to leave it up to chance, not really believing that it would happen, and then panicked, that I can... That's my headcanon. That's what I'm going with. No, no, I like that. And she loves Picard. Like, she can't think of someone better. This is true. This is true. So I understand that she wanted to have his child. Mm. I mean, with their history, Mm. it's sort of inevitable (laughs) in my mind. If only she had done a better job of deborgifying his sperm 20 years (coughs) earlier. (laughs) 10 years earlier, more like. I mean, really, this is all on her. (laughs) We're Beverly. (laughs) It's rough. It's rough Mm. because if things had happened, if they had not succeeded in the end and she had fired and killed off her kid and her lover. That's that. And yeah, I, I mean, it would be horrific. There's a lot there. Beverly goes through a lot. You know, again, Bounty is such a good episode because Beverly is pretending to be happy the entire time. She's so happy to see all her friends and she absolutely is happy to see all her friends. It's very clear that she desperately missed all of her friends. She also had no friends throughout Jack's life, which is why he didn't know that you could have friends. And then as soon as he sees her with her friends, He's like, oh, I, I want that too. Mm. So, I mean, there's it, there's amazing things happening with them. But her life is a tragedy and she was prepared for tragedy. And mm. she did everything she could to avoid it. And that meant cutting herself and her son off from everyone. Yeah. And the thing is, I don't necessarily know that she was wrong. Yeah. But then imagine, again, post, she kills her family in order to save everyone else in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it works. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you live with the guilt of not just, you know, I've killed my family, but also I didn't notice that this was the problem <laughs> <laughs> for 30-something years? I feel like in that timeline, oh. Deanna has also lost Will, so she just takes Beverly back to Nepenthe, the yeah, house of they- grief. With its outdoor shower and... With its outdoor shower. I mean... I am not shocked that Deanna did not want to live there. Just going to put that out there. I was much more shocked that they were happy in the first place. It's an amazing house. It would be an amazing Airbnb. (laughs) But I also would not want to live there. 
And I do not have the Betazoid comfort with public nudity that makes an outdoor shower okay. <laughs> yeah. Which brings us to Deanna and Will and Worf, which, for the record, <laughs> I have been shipping since season seven of The Next Generation, and now it's basically canon. It's our time! <laughs> so many people have come around to join me in the OT3 because of season three of Picard. I am very grateful to that. I love it. I, I loved Worf's interactions with mm. them. But Deanna and Will, we, we touched on it, you know, they went through this mm. sort of betrayal where she, and I believe her when she said that she was trying to hold it for him. Yeah. That she wasn't trying to get rid of it. Mm. She was trying to help, but she should have asked permission. She should have offered mm. in a more obvious way. I have trouble believing that Deanna Troy, of all people, doesn't understand consent. Yeah. I mean. Here again, I'm going to play the mom card and say that the, the, the headcanon that I can come up with for why she would do this and take that drastic a, a, a step is if Kestra has any of her abilities and was being dragged down by mm. Will's depression then that would be a reason. I can see that. I was thinking, you and I often say that shows don't have to explain everything, and then mm. we go off and be like, why didn't they say this? And come up with our own explanations. But I do mm -hmm. think, like, I don't care about how Luke Skywalker got a new lightsaber in The Return of the Jedi, but I do care about Deanna's motivations and understanding in making that mm. choice with Will. I don't need to have it set out in very, very small words, but I do need to at least get the impression that the writers have thought about it for more than 30 seconds. It's interesting. I feel like they, I take it that they needed one of these couples. Mm -hmm. I might have a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six couples. Mm -hmm. And one mm -hmm. is resolved. <laughs> Yes. And it's Deanna and Will. So they needed one to resolve. <laughs> like, yes. they needed that. Because otherwise it would be, you know. Yeah, I just think they could have done it a different way that reflected better yeah. on Deanna. I, right. I wish that they had, again, it's it's not even the choice. Like you said, I need there to be the, I need to hear the reason. Yeah. And I know that Marina Sirtis had filming constraints and she only wanted mm. to be in a certain number of scenes. And that's perfectly reasonable on her part. But they knew that too. And so, again, it, little tweaks just in that mm. scene, you know, if there was even, a, you know, something mm. about Castro or about what she was thinking about Thad. Yeah. Because we get it all from, from Riker. Like, Riker's right. the only one grieving his son, and Deanna's like, we got to get over this. And I understand that from her point of view as a therapist, but I need to know her point of view as a mom. Yeah, but this is not a series that cares about daughters or mothers. So we're just not going to get that. It also doesn't care about queer women. So Seven and Rafi, someone worked out that they have less total interaction across season three than the length of the opening credits. Really? Even counting the last episode? I think this was before the last episode came out. Because the last episode, they finally get to be awesome. <laughs> yeah. So here's the hmm. thing. I don't ship it and I kind of hate it. I think Michelle Hurd and Jerry Ryan have amazing chemistry, but Seven of Nine and Rafi Musica do not. There's a bit in episode 10 where Rafi suggests something and Seven shuts her down and there is contempt in Seven's voice for Rafi. And I'm just like, Rafi, honey, you can do better. I mean, I'll, okay, so again, don't hate me, everybody what? out there. But I just maybe said I that's, don't shit. No, no, no. You're right. So <laughs> what if what if that's why Rafi is attracted to Seven? Because she's only used to people who put her down. I think that is 100% the case. And I... <laughs> 
find that really interesting, but I am not here for a toxic queer relationship. I don't think Star Trek has done the work to make that seem anything but homophobic. Okay. Like, I want Ruffy to be with someone who admires and appreciates her the way Worf does, basically. Find someone who looks at you the way Worf looks at Raffaella. I was kind of shipping it. I'll be honest. I love the mm. the Worf and Rafi relationship, and it is perfect the way it is, and it definitely doesn't need any romance, but no. I would be okay with it <laughs> also. I would also be okay if Star Trek Don't Ask, Don't Tell becomes a thing, and we have Seven and Rafi as captain and first officer who used to be lovers if they start sort of rebuild the relationship from scratch, yeah. I can come to ship it. Right. You know how I say that Will and Deanna, who, again, are the only ones who even get any resolution in this series, they became awesome by accident. Yeah. They were set up to be this great romance, but then the only way they actually became that great romance is through acting choices and through it not being a spotlight all the time and mm. through having other relationships and then having their own relationship outside of those, like mm. having a friendship, yes. <laughs> like, yes. you know, coming to rely on each other outside of their romance and like setting aside their romantic feelings and supporting each other through other relationships, supporting each other through problems they grow into mm. the relationship that they finally get and it is beautiful once yeah. that happens yeah. and I also have described Will and Deanna as very unbalanced in the beginning that mm. Deanna is way more mature <laughs> than Will is and had would be capable of having that relationship that they eventually have but he's not he has to get to there he has to you know whatever mm. go through a lot more things and she does too she has to realize that she can't be waiting for him all the time yeah i would like that for rathy and seven yeah. i would love for rathy to realize that she has to go have her own life and she started yes. which is that's the great yeah. thing yeah. she started and she is so much happier by the end of this season than she was throughout the whole rest of the series and she's glowing yeah and and it's like that's beautiful and so like I do ship them and I would love them to have a relationship but I don't think they've had it they've had no. like again they've waved at a relationship Rafi has mm. wanted it and Seven has attempted to give it to her and that's it it's it's not actually on the screen like it's way I've, I've, re I've read it in fan fiction but I haven't seen it on the screen no that's the thing i am yet to be convinced that seven is not asexual and aromantic and also through most of season two seven of nine was not seven of nine she mm -hmm. didn't have the implants she didn't have you know the trauma that buries itself literally in your brain mm -hmm. and so yes seven of nine was awful to Rafi through a lot of season two but that wasn't really seven and, right. and we have never seen them interact when they're happy. Right. Which makes it a really hard relationship to root for, I have to say. So, yeah, I think I think I would like to see them start over. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, of course, we get the heterosexual hand-holding of Jack and Sydney. <laughs> they're so cute, though. No, I know, I love it. I kind of feel like if Jack had met Soji, that's who I would be shipping. Mm-hmm. But it's fair. Also I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. But also I don't think that every legacy kid needs to be paired up with another legacy kid. <laughs> but they're so cute. Oh I know, <laughs> like, I love them. I'm not complaining. So, like I totally understand why we don't need everybody to pair off and, and mm. you know and, and that's fine. And also it was suggested that Alandra and Soji could be a thing. Oh I love And I was that. like, I'm not opposed to that either. I mean Data and Geordie would be such happy dads at the wedding. Would be so cute. I mean, Jack and Sydney is, you know, it's a nothing. They have cute little glances. They are mm. flirting. Mm. It is adorable. She trusts him despite mm. him being pretty untrustworthy. <laughs> when it's great. It's great. And it's because he has that sincerity too. Like when he drops 
yeah, the, yeah. the cockiness and he's just like listen to me and when he is he's trying to explain to his parents this sounds ridiculous i know it sounds completely unbelievable but you have to trust me and sydney's like backing him up and he keeps looking to her to see like you know am i doing the right thing you're like literally the only person who knows about this i feel like that's a great meet cute mm. <laughs> it's it's a really good foundation for a relationship i am fine with it taking 10 years to actually <laughs> get to a real relationship and again having that like mm. we're just going to be friends yeah who support each other because again he's never had a friend and i love the idea of him opening up to sydney and showing her things that he cares about and realizing that you can have people that know who you really are yeah. and that's a good thing yeah it does not escape me that they have more set up for a relationship than Severn and Rafi. <laughs> nope. <laughs> well, I, I mean, this is definitely like Terry Metalis taking his original characters and smushing them together. Yeah. On one hand, I can't fault him for that because, like, that's what I would do. <laughs> no, but, no, same. But I also think it's an easier relationship to set up. Mm, yeah. The baggage isn't there. Like, they have their own personal baggage, but... They don't have their relationship baggage that Seven and Rafi do. They kind of give me Torres and Harry vibes. Yes. Which is to say there is absolutely sexual tension there, but also if they broke up and had other love interests, I would not be heartbroken. Yes, absolutely. As long as they stay friends. As long as they stay friends. And it's a good comparison because I would totally, I totally ship Harry and Bellana, and I'm also absolutely fine with them not being together mm. because they can share time. It's adorable. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> uh, Picard, and, Picard and Roe, the unexpected return Look. of the worst best OTP. I'm just saying that I'm going to blame the actors. I've decided based on my multiple rewatchings of Preemptive Strike mm. that the actors decided that like we gotta play this really uncomfortable scene <laughs> so how about we actually like have a thing yeah and, and yeah. we make that part of our characterization because of the otherwise that's super gross like if we're gonna have a father-daughter relationship and then this happens no so we're gonna have sexual tension and then this happens and it's okay I definitely think one day we should do a whole episode on preemptive strike. Absolutely. But then, so they came back together and they were like, we're just going to continue this. <laughs> I know that they're supposed to have a mentor, mentee, mm. father-daughter thing going. I know that they're supposed to be paralleling John Luke and Jack. Like, <laughs> I get it and I see what they're going for. But also, sorry, they, <laughs> they still have sexual tension. <laughs> I never ship teacher-student, but I do ship mentor-protege. An old friend of mine called it pedagogical erotica. So <laughs> this is this is I like that. nothing new for me. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I've shipped them since forever. Like, mm. it's, it's definitely been a, if he's not going to be with Beverly, he can absolutely be <laughs> with Laren. But it's also, like, bad. I don't know. I, I think you could dare me to write what if season three but it's Rolaren's baby <laughs> and I would do it oh with a little earring I mean I'm just I, saying I understand that Bajoran children are not born with earrings they don't come with earrings but he would definitely have a little earring Bajoran Jack yeah I just gotta come up with a good name for that kid and then Picard and Laris who is a real <laughs> Nothing burger of a of a pairing. Again. I don't ship them at all. No. I remember in season two, I was like, I'm not convinced, but I'm going to wait for the nope. show to convince me. It didn't. It didn't even it didn't. try. It didn't. I, I don't like it. I don't like the suggestion that she ever wanted it. And so I don't care. I wish they hadn't even had the scene with her or that like they had the scene with her and they didn't have a relationship and yeah. then, like that would have been preferred because they don't kiss at the no. end of season two no. so I'd be okay with they were in like we've decided not to do that and, because turns out he does still have hang-ups and they're named Beverly so <laughs> let's just move on 
My whole thing is that in season one, I read the relationship between Laris and Picard as a middle-aged daughter and her elderly dad. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get past that. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. All of Brady is too young. And they made her younger in season yeah. two. Yeah. Like, it was a, a like, choice. Yeah. It was, it was a choice. Let's make her young and pretty and then mm. pair her up with Picard. Mm. Or you could not do that. <laughs> you could choose not to. She was already pretty, so... Mm-hmm. And they had such a good relationship. Yeah, and then they just turned her into a Stepford Romulan. I cannot imagine, I cannot think of a better example of a series completely misunderstanding a character's popularity. Yes. Like, what the fuck? Speaking of, on that note, can I have my rant about the autistic representation in this series? Because there are two characters who are very famously icons of autistic, but not really autistic because we don't say that word, representation in Star Trek. Data Mm -hmm. and Seven of Nine. And so Data comes back and he's alive and now he's neurotypical. And Seven... I I just can't reconcile Seven in Picard with the character in Voyager. They are completely different people. And the only way I can begin to explain it is if Seven is masking full-time even when she's alone. And I think that's tragic. It is tragic, but I also think that that is a good read mm. because, again, going to point out my my favorite scene in Bounty where she says, I had this family on Voyager. Mm. I felt safe. Yes. And I haven't had that since. So as soon yeah. as they came home, she was in a hostile environment where mm. everyone in Starfleet didn't trust her. You know, she had to run away to the Fenris Rangers. And the Fenris Rangers don't seem to be a great little group, to be honest. No, they seem kind of bad. They're bad. And then she, like, opens up to someone like the Jaisal and is immediately betrayed. Mm -hmm. She only wanted to get close to Seven so that she could find out where Seven's Borg friends with Borg parts were so they could go seal them. Like, that is pretty horrific. (laughs) I understand why Seven would never want to have another relationship. Yes. And I would understand why Seven would be masking. Again, it's that thing where I don't think the writers have thought about it at all. The writers don't think of Seven as autistic. No. And Jerry Ryan said she came back because this was such an important character and so many people had said to her that she was inspiring to them as autistic people. And Seven is just not that anymore. And it's actually really harmful in the sense that autistic women are expected to mask and are expected to play the part of the neurotypical strong female character. And we expect better from Star Trek. We deserve better. So I am not autistic. And I don't have anything to say about autistic representation specifically or certainly anything to say about seven as Mm. autistic representation because that is not my lane and I'm not even going to attempt to go there because (laughs) I don't think it's appropriate. Seven is a very important character to me Mm. as someone who had to go through a lot of childhood trauma Mm. and I have, like I said, that I compare the Borg to mental illness Mm-hmm. and to losing agency mm-hmm. over yourself because of your mental illness, both in terms of giving it over to your mental illness and then also in giving it over to the system, mm. quote unquote. And so Seven is still important representation to me. And I, to bring up the Jack and Seven show again, I said in my essay that I wrote for Women at Warp that... Jack Crusher is nearly the opposite of representation in media because he is white, he is cis, <laughs> he is a man, he is heterosexual, he is upper class, he is from a 
ridiculously elite background, his parents are the most powerful people in Starfleet. <laughs> There's no amount of privilege that Jack Crusher does not have. No. But I do have that nearly mm. because he is neurodivergent. That is a great point. I think that that is important. Mm -hmm. I think it is important to say that Jack and Seven have have that in common. Mm. And that that is another version of representation. Yes. And also, I think I may have gotten caught up in the analogy problem. That, one, an analogy isn't just one thing. And two, the problem is that if all your representation is through analogy, then it's mm -hmm. too easy to fumble. And, like, Seven can represent many things. To Brandon Braga, she represented sexual assault victims. Which, yikes. But... <laughs> <laughs> I hope that if there is a legacy series with different writers and a different showrunner, I will come to love Seven again. But I just don't understand her anymore. I think she was closer in season three than she was in, I mean, certainly, like, she was a, a totally, like you said, she was a completely different person in yeah. season two. Season two Seven makes no sense to me at all. Mm. And season one Seven is clearly someone who is at their, the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> season one Seven is someone who has lost the plot mm. and is trying to cry so is literally everyone in, in season one that's like the point of season one is they're all trying to climb their way out of where they are in life mm. and we don't have to talk about season two because it's just bad but in season three seven is closer mm. to the seven of nine that is in voyager she i she is still not the same person. No. That is true. I mean, she's crying in front of Tuvok. Voyager 7 would never. But, like, why is that a bad thing? We want no, her to no, cry in no. front of Tuvok. Tuvok like, doesn't. But, no, the no same, But the same person, like, I'm not the same person that I am, say, 20 years ago, but I also am. Like, no, so yeah. I think it, I have hope that we could get... A seven, if Seven is the main character and it's not about mm. Picard mm. and everything that Seven does doesn't have to relate to Picard mm. and Seven is allowed to be in scenes where it makes sense for Seven to be in them because if she's, you know, she's not going to screw up the plot by being there. I think that if Seven is the protagonist, then we have a better chance of getting the Seven that you want. Also, it would be really cool to sort of give her the opposite of a data arc where over the seasons of Star Trek Legacy, she becomes more comfortable with her alienness and less inclined to mimic humanity. Yeah, she also needs to become comfortable in her own skin. Mm. And I think that everybody on the Titan, like we have Seven, Rafi, and Jack, and then we have a whole bunch of recently assimilated <laughs> ensigns. <laughs> So, I mean, the formula is there mm. for it to be a really interesting journey to becoming comfortable with yourself after this horrible thing that happens to us all. Yeah, yeah. And Seven as the Janeway, mm. you know, who is going to make sure everyone else does it before she does would be a really interesting arc and then she's the one who has to realize that oh I don't have to pretend I don't and I don't have to put everyone else first mm. and I can you know people can support me too yeah I think what we're saying is we should show run Star Trek Legacy <laughs> yes this is our pitch <laughs> definitely <laughs> but you know I seven is still very important to me and Jack is very important to me and neurodivergence isn't only autism. No, I think I think you're that's, right. That's I all think, I want to say. No, no, you're right. And I am hyper fixated on one particular side of the analogy. Yeah. And I should open up and let go. But it's also fair because, like I said, I don't have a horse in that race. And yeah, so, yeah. like, I relate to Seven and to Jack on the, you know, anxiety <laughs> and connection level yeah. of the spectrum yeah and, and it is a spectrum and it's also like one of those color wheels where you know 
you, you click and I, I I have talked for two hours. We've been here for two hours and ten minutes. I've lost. I'm out of words. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Let's wrap okay. up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Antimatterpod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and Instagram, all at Antimatterpod. And you can find us on Mastodon at antimatterpod.tenforward.social. You can write to us at mail at antimatterpod.com. If you like us, leave a review wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us in a week when we'll be discussing the first episode of Strange New World Season 2. You wrote Season 3 there, and I hope we're still around for Season 3. Sorry. No, no. I like your optimism. <laughs>